How many of you ever struggle with remembering things? All right. <clears throat> you know, so with each new gray hair I get, I tend to forget another place where I put something. Um, but, uh, but in my defense, I've, I've always kind of been like that. You know, um, I would always surprise myself at my genius. Because when I look for something and I can't find it, and I give up because I've searched everywhere, at the uh, week later when I would find it by accident, I would think to myself, of course I would put it here. This is the exact place where you should put this. Now, I don't know what happened to the genius when I was looking for it, but I always am really astounded at my logic, you know, my complete sensibleness for putting stuff in places where I know they should be. But then I'm also just astounded by my stupidity for why I can't think of that again. So I guess many people are like that. You know, we, we do forget things. We struggle to remember birthdays and anniversaries. And how many of you forgotten an anniversary? In fact, they say the best way to never forget an anniversary is to forget it once. Because <laughs> after that, you just don't dare forget it again. <laughs> um, how many of you have forgotten your children's name? <laughs> Their children's names. <laughs> I have to put my hand up. <laughs> Man, I've offended people at times. Like you know, I used to, I, I had a sorry, I had a coworker um, that I spent years working with, and then the one time we were at a um, we were at a, a visit with with people, and I wanted to introduce her, and I was like, "What's your name again?" <laughs> We've been working together for like years. She was like, "Seriously?" <laughs> I'm sorry, it's I'm blank. Um, yeah, it's. It's crazy how we sometimes just remember the most random of information. Like, you know, uh, possums actually are quite, you know, uh, clean animals. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, possums are, are actually not, you know, rab rabies carriers. They, they can't carry rabies. Uh, yet we all think that I'm going to get bitten by a possum and get rabies. So I don't know where that happened, but I don't know. Um, they actually don't. Aren't able to do that. So um, the beauty of, of 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 this whole thing is that that's almost unnecessary information. Yet somehow that never skips my mind. <laughs> 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 but remembering to buy flowers on Valentine's Day so often it's just like, <gasps> thank God Walmart stepped up in that late. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's like another example is have you ever walked into the room and forgotten why you walked into it? It's like you go, like last week we were here and I walked into the room and I was like, I can't remember what I came in here to do. And <laughs> I think it was Ryan Carter or somebody that says to me, just, just turn around and walk back. <laughs> so you have to turn around, you have to go back to where you came from. And it's, somewhat, it's like the, the instruction waited there. It didn't come with you. <laughs> right? Like you walk into the instruction again. It's like it's this, 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 this somewhere, I don't know, if it's like a, like a beam from heaven that if you, you know, if you just get it right, oh, it, it, it hits you again or something. But anyways, it's, it's so easy to kind of just forget things. and um, Sometimes we, we just lose other more important things. We lose our peace. Have you ever walked uh, through a day feeling like, man, just something is missing. What's, something is not right. Something is not right. Some, I, feel out of like, I feel out of it somehow. Um, we like to refer to that as somewhere you lost your peace. Something happened. Somebody said something. You heard something on the news, maybe. You read something, and it caused a little fear and doubt in you, but you didn't completely recognize it in the moment. But it's kind of like it stays with you. Or, or you, um, you, 
you know, you did something. You know you did something, and, and you know it wasn't good to do. And it's like, you just can't kind of like, you know, deal with that. And, 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 kinda, and what you need to do really is you need to just go and stand still for a second and just say, Holy Spirit, why am I not at peace? And He is so faithful. Every single time you do that, the Holy Spirit will, re- will point out, like with pinpoint accuracy, exactly the thing that you need to deal with. Whether that be you sinned, you need to ask me for forgiveness. And it's not going to be condemning. The Holy Spirit's conviction comes with joy of the after, the fact that you're going to be right with God again and free. You're like, oh, my goodness, now I know. Father, forgive me. Uh, I shouldn't have done that. Um, thank you for your grace. And then you get the release. You're like, oh, thank goodness. I dealt with that. But sometimes it's something that you have to deal with somebody else. So sometimes it's something that you have to deal with in your soul. You heard something. You read a bill. That often happens. And you didn't deal with it right there and there. Then and there. But you kind of walked away. And, what you, and the Holy Spirit, and you, Holy Spirit, why am I not at peace? And he said, you believed the lie the minute you opened up that bill. That you're not going to have enough to pay it. I'm like, oh, I did that. Okay, Lord, won't you take that bill, please? Thank you. You know, I don't have it right now. But if you take care of it, I know I will have it at the right time. Thank you that I can leave it with you. You feel peace come back to your soul. And then you can move on with the rest of of your day. When you don't deal with things in that way, sometimes you end up losing your way. Fear starts taking over. Offense starts taking over. And you start making decisions based on that. You hide things. You, you, You try to cover up things. Then you have to lie. Then you have to avoid people. You have to start ignoring. Then you break relationships. It's so quick for us to just lose our way before long you have doubts in your mind whether god is even real because you're praying and he's not answering your prayers and before long you start wondering if he's if 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 god is god is gonna ever respond to you it's quick to lose our way and but it is it is such an important part it's such an important thing for our testimony for our walk as christians that we deal with those little things fast um, before they cause us to lose our way. So I want to talk about that concept, walking in the way of God today. Um, did you know that the early disciples were never called Christians? Right? They were never called Christians. Uh, in fact, well, they, in fact, they were called Christians at a, at a particular point in time. Sorry, but they, at first they weren't called Christians. And in, in Acts 9 verse 2, it says the following. Um, this is just a little excerpt to show us what, what, what happened in the time. He said, he requested that letters be addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. That was the term that was used to describe the early believers. They were called the followers of the way. Now, subsequent to that, we have many names for Christians, believers, followers, disciples, churchgoers. But in that time, the way they were known as was the way. So I started wondering what, what, what would cause people to call other people followers of the way. There must have been a distinction that, that could make that, you know, that, that, that contrast so evident that it was different from what they were currently doing. Remember the, the audience here is, is, is the Jews. And it's not like they didn't have a way of life right? 
I mean, if, of all people, they have a way of life even to this day that's very different from you know, many other cultural expressions in the West and even you know, everywhere in the world. They had a way. And so for, for, for the disciples to be called followers of the way meant that there was a contrast. There was something different about them that distinguished them from the Jewish culture. We want to talk about that today because somewhere along the line, that must have, might have diluted down a little bit. See, our Western culture has made being a Christian an event on a Sunday. But that was really not what the early culture of Christianity was about. This wasn't just a group of people that were enlightened. They didn't just have a new understanding. There was actually a new expression of that understanding. A people that was radically transformed to a point that they were distinguishable by their actions from the existing culture. Now the existing culture was a good culture. It was a benevolent culture. It was a culture that was God-centric. But this, follower, the, this way of life even distinguished them from that. So you remember the, the guy Saul that used to be a, um, a persecutor of the church. And later on, he started going by his, his other name because he, 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 he was actually Saul and Paul interchangeably. But after he, um, after he had this encounter with Jesus, um, he started being referred to more as Paul. And um, I've, I've, my wife actually has a similar story to that um, where she chose to, be, to go by a name that was more, um, uh, more relevant to her current like, experience of, of, of life, things that she went through and, and, and felt that God had redeemed certain things. And um, so I, I imagine that that was similar with Paul. He wanted to be distinguished from who he once were. Um, and so he, he was started to be referred to as, as Paul. But Paul... Um, is in, a, in, a, in, a, in an inter interview of sorts, um, probably an interrogation, and, and he is saying these words in uh, Acts 24, verse, verse 14. And I'm just taking these little excerpts to, to talk about um, this concept of the way. He said this, but I admit that I follow the way. And so there was, a, there was an identification that happened in the individual that was what like categorized him in a sense as being different from what the current day culture was. He admitted that he was a follower of the way. So this was definitely not just a mindset or a philosophy or even an internal decision or an internal conviction. This was definitely on display. So my question for us today is, your faith, is it on display or is it something that you just have in your own mind? Is it something that you just adhere to as a personal opinion or conviction or is it in fact on display? Jesus said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the person that introduces us to this way of life. So let's talk about that a little bit in, in looking at Jesus' introduction and um, 
and, and the things that he said, because I think that they're very important to us, for us to understand the link between what we currently know and what we've been talking about and this concept of the way. So in, in Mark 1, there's um, verse 14, 15, it says this, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe in, and believe in the gospel. So we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And we want you guys to com- constantly think about, the, uh, b- about this. Jesus did not come to introduce, to introduce or to start a religion. And I know um, young people, kids, y- y'all are being taught in your schools that you know, there's these three, um, three religions that kind of developed out of one, one religion, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And they're all basically the same, and they serve all basically the same God, and so you can choose whichever one of these ways you want to do. There's nothing further from the truth um, than that statement. Jesus is the only way to get into the kingdom of God. And there is a very good reason for that. But you need to understand that by way of history, you are learning about how these things developed, yes. But by way of theology, you understand which one of them actually leads to salvation. Jesus did not come to just begin a new religion. He didn't dislike the old one and thought of, you know, like in, in today's world, you know, someone starts the iPhone and, and then, then others try to copy it to make a different phone. You know, the knockoffs, Samsung and all those other guys. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm messing, I'm messing, I'm messing. <laughs> Christianity is not the knockoff <laughs> of Judaism. <laughs> all right. Um. Now, Jesus actually came to reestablish his government on earth. You see, the Bible says in the beginning, God created the universe. He created earth. And by virtue of ownership, he was also the authority, the governing authority of earth. Then he created the entity he calls man. And then he gave man the authority to govern earth. He gave us a job. And our job was to manage this place sustainably, manage it well right? Care for it, not exploit it, not destroy it, but cherish it and, and, and cultivate it. And so he came to establish his government. So he established his government on earth through man. And then man gave that authority away through listening to a different voice, the voice of Satan. So by listening and obeying Satan's advice and guidance, they, they literally broke agreement with God and they came into agreement with another spiritual authority, which by the way, at that point in time had absolutely no authority on earth. But when Adam obeyed him, all of a sudden walked away with all authority to influence earth. And man had become his subject. And as a result, everybody that was descendant of Adam, was born with the same agreement as, as well as the same separation. So if you've ever wondered why are we all sinful, it's because we all descended from a person that was separated from God and stepped into an agreement with Satan. And so for, 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 for 6,000 odd years, depending on how you read history and genealogy, um, the the earth was governed under Satan's command. 
And you see in the flood um, that God had to enact a, a, a judgment because the earth had become exceedingly evil. Satan had destroyed things to such a point where God needed to, to for, for the sake of the earth, conserve it by judging it and by starting over with a righteous family. And then after that, shortly, he introduces the law that served as a preserving agent so that man wouldn't quickly, as it had before, digress into complete chaos and evil. And so it's just a little bit of the story, the overall story of, of the Bible to help you see how God's intention was always to, um, to walk with man, but through man, let his purposes and his plans prevail for this earth. And then, because the law could only temporarily or could only manage it, could not transform it back to its original state, that's the reason Jesus came to reinstate the original order, to reinstate his authority on earth as a man. That's why he had to come as a man. And then being us, being connected and breaking agreement with our allegiance to the kingdom of darkness through repentance. That's why it says here, repent and believe the gospel and faith. Make agreement, come back into agreement with God who now has offered us a way to gain freedom from that agreement and access back into under his, come under his authority and under his leadership. Because he had fulfilled the legal requirements for us to make that move. And that's a story for another day. But I want you to understand that even in the language that I've used now, none of it has been religious language. It has been official, governmental, even political language. It has been legal language. Why? Because the battle for earth is a legal challenge. Adam legally gave away the authority to Satan. And Satan was under no obligation to give it back. Until Jesus came and he literally overcame Satan. And when the Bible says he descended into hell, he took back the keys of the kingdom. He took back the authority from Satan. He rose from the dead and now stands as a legitimate authority again on earth. See, a man gave away the authority of earth. And therefore, a man had to, be, had to come and get it back. Now, no man could get it back. Because no man, once he died, would be able to resurrect. Why? Because the penalty for our sin is death and eternal separation. And so Jesus, being a perfect sinless man, was the only man that could die and not have any injunction against him to be able to take back his life. It's all legal. It's all a kingdom. It's a matter of doing what is necessary legally to win and get back the authority to enact your will and your way on earth. And that is what Jesus did. He introduced his kingdom back, his authority back on earth. And now with that authority comes his way of doing things. A king is a king because he's born, a, he's born royal, not because he gets appointed. See, we in our Western society understands leadership from the perspective of democracy. We choose who we put in power. Okay? Now, it's a collective choice, and you might not agree with it always, but it's still, a, a, still a, a choice of man. We choose who we want in power, right? The kingdom of God doesn't work that way. In the kingdom of God, he is king whether nobody chooses him or whether everybody chooses him. He's king. And this is his real estate. It's his property. It belongs to him. 
In fact, you and I are also his real estate and his property, and he's actually allowed to do with this real estate whatever he decides to do with it because he actually owns it, right? Legally. <laughs> and because we've always just seen this as like a, a religion, we don't understand the legal ramifications. We don't understand what happens in the spiritual world, in the authority world about this place. But understanding that understands therefore why when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, now it makes sense. Because I was separated from God and doomed to, to experience the consequence of that. And the only way I could get back is if, I, if somebody helped me. Somebody like Jesus. And that's the offer he has for every single person. It's for you to get back under the authority of God, to get back in the, into a relationship and back into the family of God. You have to bow your knee to Jesus Christ and accept and declare him as your Lord and Savior. Okay. Hey, y'all, don't be worried about that at all. I love her. She's saying amen, really. So if somebody else says amen, I'm going to accept the amen. If she goes, wah, it's going to be amen, okay? So y'all just stay right here until it becomes uncomfortable for you, but it's not for me, okay? Just so you know. We welcome babies. All right. Um, so, but what happens here is that when Jesus, when G, for Jesus to be able to bring you out from this existence into this existence here, it is an internal transformation that has to occur. It's not a behavior modification. The change starts inside and then it manifests outside. It's not I'm trying to be a better person on the outside and I'm trying to prove to people that I'm a better person by my actions and that will influence my inside. No, it's the other way around. It's always first internal to external. In fact, you can never prove your goodness by your actions because you're just going to fail too many. You're just going to fail. And failing once is cause for exclusion because God's standard is absolute perfection and holiness. That's why behavior modification would never be able to follow, by behavior modification, you would never be able to follow the way. You have to repent and believe the gospel that Jesus did the payment of making a good life, uh, living a good life. He did that on your behalf. And your only way, your only solution is to accept that, to believe it, and to put your trust that that was enough to deal with your imperfection. When you do that, a miracle takes place and internally your nature changes. You are adopted back into the family of God. You are changed and transformed, not because of anything that you have done, but because of everything that Jesus had done for you. This is how you get introduced into the way. But can you see that introduction into the way is not to, you know, strap up your bootstraps, get yourself neat and tidy and go and do all the right things. No, introduction into the way is actually by way of admitting defeat. It's like, Lord, I'm never going to be able to do this. And therefore, I need you. It's surrender. And so that's why today we're going to talk about the first part of being a people of the way. It means that we have to become a people of surrender. A people of surrender. And we're going to look, about, look uh, over the next couple of weeks on aspects of, 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 our, of a lifestyle 
that would make us able to be people of the way. And so we can be distinguished, not by way of pride, but so that we're able to show people that there is hope and that there is a solution to their trouble. There's actually, um, there's actually life that they might not have gotten yet. Like every person who strives in religion to be good always fails and always feels horrible about it. And when they get sick and tired of feeling horrible about it, they reject the religion. Because they see the religion as being the reason why they feel bad about themselves. And so they'll reject whatever tells them that they're not good enough in order to try and feel good about themselves. The problem is then they're stuck with themselves. And the realization that even though they've rejected religion, rejected God, they still don't have life. They still, they have to fight the whole time to, 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 to stand for their right. They have to fight the whole time to stand for their choice and for their identity. And there is absolutely no joy in it. Even those who don't fight and they just kind of go like whatever, take the whole, you know, whatever attitude about, uh, about themselves. They still have an internal longing for something that they can't seem to manufacture or to achieve by themselves. And so that's why the kingdom of God is so amazing. Because it's not asking you to come back to religion. But it's asking you to accept the fact that you are being called by a king to be a part of his royal family again. And when the king becomes your dad, it comes with a, a lot of, of perks. If I can just say it like that. It comes with a lot of benefits. We don't serve him for the benefits. We serve him because we just love being in his family. But the beauty of it is, is that it creates hope for you. That because I have a dad, maybe my life can be different. Because I have a father, maybe I can get through that hurt. Maybe that injustice that was dealt against me could be, could be fixed. Maybe I can stand and like myself. Maybe there's a reason for me being here. Maybe I can be a significant person. Maybe this life will just make sense for crying out loud. That's the promise of the kingdom of God. Is once his order comes back into your life, he makes all things well. Over time, it does happen for sure in this life, but it does happen. It does happen. You know, people have said, you know, um, uh, I think it was G.K. Chesterton, um, he was a Christian philosopher, he said, um, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It's been tried and found hard and left undone, left not tried, uh, you know, uh, not, not engaged in it. So whatever you have experienced through religion that has disappointed you, I want you to know that I am disappointed in that too. Because religion makes a lot of promises that it can't ever fulfill. I think religion is the ultimate politician. And so be careful when you hear a religion make promises. Like if you become part of this church, you'll be saved. It's a lie. If you do that action, you'll be saved. It's a lie. And you know what? Sometimes those actions are amazing. 
You have to get baptized. Then only are you saved. It's a lie. You have to give 10% of your money, then you'll be saved. It's a lie. You have to pay something to get saved, to get forgiven. It's a lie. Religion is not the answer, but the kingdom of God is. And the kingdom of God also has the authority to change things for you and to bring things back into order. The reason why we're given the creation account is so that we can see that God always creates order out of chaos. And if given the chance to have authority that where his word is law, where his word is the way, it will have an outcome that at the end of the day, when it talks about you and I, will say, it's very good. It's very good. And so that's why we need to become a people of surrender. Because in as much as you and I surrender to the kingdom way of God, to the point that we surrender, God can bring back order. That's why he says you cannot live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. For one, they're so far apart that you have no power left to do anything. Like if you were to come now and push me over, I would just be that, a pushover. It's too far removed from each other, the world and the kingdom. You can't try to have one foot there and one foot the other. You have to make a choice. Are you going to be with God or are you going to be with your own way of life? And to the point that you surrender your way, your thinking, your opinions to his kingdom, to that point he can bring back order in your life. Now it starts with the first point of order, which is salvation that I just spoke about. How do I get included in this kingdom? It's by giving my life to Jesus. But then after that becomes a way of life that will be distinguishable. Because it's contrary to this world, but it's a way of life. And it brings back God's uh, will in your life over time. All right, so let's jump into Luke 5 now. I want to show you something about surrender. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of, Gal of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, he asked one of the owners, Simon, uh, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught crowds from there. Which is brilliant, because water just makes sound carry so much further. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's a little deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. Simon said to him, we worked hard all day, all night, sorry. We worked hard all night and we didn't catch a thing. So here's the problem with this. Peter was doing everything right the whole night, toiling. He's tired of that, trying to do things right. Second point, Peter is a professional. <laughs> he knows when fish bites and when it doesn't. And here comes Jesus. Jesus is telling a professional how to do his job. How many of you would be a little ticked off by that? Right? So, so, so you're, a, you're, a, you're a whatever, a lawyer. And here comes Jesus and tells you, hey, you know, you can't do your job that way. 
do it this way. And you go, if I do it this way, I will literally lose every client I have. I will literally lose every case I have. Jesus is trying to tell a professional how to do his job. Jesus isn't a fisherman. He's a carpenter. So what in this good world that the Lord made does a carpenter know about fishing? Have you asked that question? What does that guy know about my job, about my work, about my, my, what I need to do in my life? A Christian trying to talk with you. But here's Peter's, Simon Peter's great response. And it's the response that God wants each and every one of us to live by. It's a response of surrender. He says, but if you say so, I will let the nets down. Okay, for those of you who don't know the story, he does that. They end up catching such a big catch that their nets start tearing and they literally have to call other boats to come and help them. Now think about that in a commercial sense. Think about you have such a harvest that you cannot manage to get it all. You have to ask other farmers to come and partake in the harvest in order for it not to go to waste. Think about that. You have, you have such a great business deal coming your way that you have to give your competitor work. Think about this in real life terms. Because this is what that's what this meant for them. This was real life to them. For us, it's like kind of like, you know, fishermen. We're not in a coastal town. It's not as but think about that. You get so much work that you have to give all your competitors work. Otherwise, the opportunity will just go to waste. That's what this meant. At your word. What can happen on the other side of your obedience to God's word? If I do this, I'll never get a contract. If I do this, I'll never make the team. What do you think can happen on the other side of your obedience? If you follow the word of God. I told the story. They caught such a, a, a catch. But here's what happens after that. When Simon Peter realized what had happened. So at first it's just like, oh my goodness, we got this huge contract. Wow. We have to employ more people. Wow. We have to give work away. Wow. But will you realize what's happening to you? Will you make the connection that this was the blessing and the favor of God on your life? Peter did. And here was his response. He fell to his knees. What do we do? You know what? I'm just going to play this out real good. All my competitors, you know you owe me something right now, right? <laughs> or will you fall to your knees and thank God? Listen to what Simon said. Lord, just, just, just leave me. I'm a sinful man. He realized the absolute privilege that he had just received. He realized the honor that God had given him. He realized that he was in the presence of something different than this world. He acknowledged it, but he also in that same moment realized, oh my goodness, I'm not worthy of this. I don't deserve this. 
he was self-aware at, at least that he could understand that this wasn't his ingenuity or his greatness. This was the goodness of God. If something fell in your way, it's the goodness of God on your life. Don't take the glory. Take a knee. So Jesus replies to Simon, don't be afraid for from now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. I love that. They surrendered to his leadership. Today's message is a call for each and every one of us to surrender to Christ's leadership. When you do that, you start seeing the kingdom of God. The way of Jesus is total surrender. The meaning of the word surrender means to yield to the power and control of another, to give up completely or to agree to forego, to abandon or to relinquish uh, control. How many of you like to be in control? Okay, I like control, it makes me feel safe. Um, but you might say that you're not really controlling, you know? you're just aggressively helpful. I'm just thoroughly organized. <laughs> when I said, I said uh, uh, who, who likes to be in control, did somebody lift up your hand? <laughs> did, now, if you lifted up somebody's hand, you need to listen to this too. <laughs> Culture tells us to take control, to be in control, to, to, to make it happen. It tells us to, to, to not surrender. But the kingdom of God is often counterintuitive. It's often a paradox. Like if you, if you have lack, it, there's a, it's an indication that you must start giving. It's like, what do you mean? Give now. No. Now I need to like hold back and be more frugal. The kingdom of God would say no. Because Why? Because it's trying to get you to understand that you're living in a completely different situation in the spiritual world. See, your understanding on earth here is that you need to live from your, your income, live from your budget. <clears throat> God is trying to help you understand that you are supposed to live out of inheritance. An inheritance that is never, that is, that is, that is, that is, cannot be, um, spent. Now think about this. When you're a son and you start to take ownership of, 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 of things around you, and I know we have to, we have to make a, a slight you know, adjustment in our thinking because even as a son, I knew my father had limited means. But still, when he gave me a job to do I had no problem to come to him and tell him, Dad, we need to replace the, the blade on the mower. Can I go buy a, mower, a blade? And so at that point in time, while I was mowing the lawn, and by the way, we had a, like a, like a five-acre property, and I, and I push mowed half of that twice a week. It was hard work. <laughs> With a mower that had, a, that had an extension cord, electrical mower. You know, electrical motors aren't that, aren't that strong. So you push and go, eh, eh. Y'all won't, won't know what I'm talking about because you don't have electrical motors. 
it stalls the engine, and then it starts up again. If you leave it too long, that's the situation you find yourself in. But in that minute when I, when I realized that this thing is cutting this narrow, and it should be cutting that wide, it's making my work double, I don't go, shucks, do I have money? I can't, I can't do this. And so now I'm going to just like suffer. Well, okay, I'll just, you know, it's just my disposition in life. No. I take that thing to my dad and say, we need to fix this. And he goes, all right, we're going to fix that. Now it might take a little while, but it's understanding that I am not living out of my own budget alone. I'm living out of dad's budget because I'm a king in the house, a son in the house, son in the king's house now. So I can ask for things that I don't have the means to accomplish on my own. But I can also just be generous toward things that God asks me to be generous toward. Why? Because it's not up to only me to accomplish everything. I'm living from the fridge of my dad. And so if I need to give away this meal, it's okay because I know I'm going to go back to the house and get me something from the fridge. I can live with a generosity in mind. Why? Because it's not up to me alone. And so I can, I can live free. I can live generous, right? But culture tells us to, 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 to take control of our lives. The kingdom says, no, surrender control to me. Do things the way I tell you to do, and it'll work better for you. But because we're so, we're so self-sufficient, and we want to so self-actualize, self-achieve, then we, from this culture, we step into Christianity and we think, okay, now everything I need to accomplish as a Christian has to come from within me. We need to make the switch to the kingdom of God. I, I would say this, that if you, feel, if you feel exhausted and if you feel hopeless and if you feel like, man, I, I just don't... I have a clue how this is going to work out. I've tried everything. You're the prime candidate for this message to understand that now's the time, if ever, for you to surrender to the ways of the kingdom of God. Because in the other side of that is hope, is provision, is life, is joy, is peace. All the things that are Germane to the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit can be yours. But you need to step into that. That's your decision. To the point at which you surrender, He can bring order. But you have to allow the order, the King's rule, the King's way, to take a hold of your way. Religion, actually, is our attempt to try and control God. Because by religion, you try to tell God, this is what you need to do because this is what I did. But if you understand truly who our God is, you'll fast realize that there's nothing good enough you can do to twist God's arm to do anything. Because He's a holy God. And we're definitely not holy. So here's... Here's how, how that plays out in natural life. Okay, Lord, I'll start serving you if you fix that area in my life. If you give me a bigger salary, if you give me a different job, I'll start serving you. And so you jump into it. Become part of the dream team. You're here every Sunday. You know. And then he doesn't. 
and then you're disappointed. But why are you disappointed? Why did God disappoint you? Because you were in religion. You were not in the kingdom. You were trying to take control of something and manipulate God to do something. He doesn't respond well to manipulation. He's the king. If you were step into the kingdom of God and surrender and give all those things to him and ask him what you ought to do about that and just leave it in his hands, you will start seeing the kingdom taking its way about your life, starting to create order into it, bringing order into it. And then in God's timing, that thing that you want to see dealt with, it'll be dealt with because God delights in our peace and our joy and our fullness of life. That's, that's why he came, actually. The Bible says he came that we might have life in abundance. He doesn't want to withhold that from you, but he's definitely not going to be manipulated into it. Religion tries to manipulate God. You cannot be disappointed in God if you're in the kingdom of God. Because it doesn't allow for you to take the disposition of you must, you must if I will. No, it's here I am, Lord. Send me, use me. And I trust you with everything else. In your time and in your way, I know that you're going to take care of me because I'm a son in your house. And I can enjoy being in your house Man, I can just have fun and peace and know and hope knowing that this house is going in the right direction. Like I hope most of the times my kids know that our house is moving in the right direction for their lives and that they don't have to stress every day of their lives about what comes next and how they need to, how they need to make that happen. That they know they have me behind them helping them to you know, pave the way for them forward. Hopefully they see that in me. Hopefully they see, your, your kids see that too. But hopefully we might see that of our God. That it's not all up to us. If we surrender, He is actually able to take the lead. In fact, to the point, if you take control, He's just going to be like, okay, I'll give you a run for it. Let's see how you do. And when you get tired of that, Hopefully you realize it's not God disappointing you, but you approaching God wrong. God is a king. And so he responds better to a bowed knee than to a demand with a fist in his face. If God doesn't, there's this beautiful song um, on, on the radio all the time. Um, <clears throat> I think Lauren Daigle sings that she's like, um, and it's basically a song about Habakkuk 3, that you know, if nothing works out the way I thought it would have, still I will trust in you. I will trust in you. That's a kingdom mindset. That's a kingdom mindset. There's no such thing as partial surrender. You're either surrendered or you're taking control. And so we need to understand that um, as, 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 as kingdom people, that we have to live in a constant reminder to ourselves, don't take control back. Don't take control back. Because so, <laughs> so quick, we start off with giving over, but then we want to like, things aren't happening the way I want it to happen, so I better take control back. No, maybe I need to go to a different church. Or, no, maybe I need to, you know, 
<laughs> Come on now. I hope it's real because otherwise why do it, right? If it doesn't help our actual normal lives, if it doesn't refer to it, maybe I need to just, you know, go less. Or maybe I need to, maybe I need to preach it. I will preach it. <laughs> so good timing. Yeah, so that's us considering and, and thinking through how can I take control back so that this can happen faster for me? Don't go there. Surrender and trust God's timing. Surrender is not just an acknowledgement. It's actually an allegiance. It's not, a, it's not a, okay, yeah, this is probably the best thing for me to do. No, surrender is more than that. Surrender is saying, Lord, I belong to you. I belong to you. And so however you choose for me, I accept that. Because out of that is gonna be the, that's going to be the best for my life. How many of you would love your children to think like that about you? Think about this. If your children would be able to say to you, okay, mom, I trust you. We're not going to go to the park today. I know, I know, I trust you. <laughs> that would be awesome, right? <laughs> now, they're also still in the process of, you know, l growing up and understanding all of this. But man, can we take a, 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 a page from that book? What would it do to your heart, right, if your kid's response was that? Okay, mom, we trust you. We know that you're going to look out for our best interest and, you know, we trust you to decide when we're going to go to the park again. Bruh, that happens to me. I'm taking out my diary and I'm scheduling a play in the park for them. It just, it's going to open up my heart to just like want to, like, you know, um, almost live up to their expectation of trust. <laughs> no, Joy, you're not allowed to do that to control me. <laughs> it has to be sincere. <laughs> it's the benefit of having your kid in church with you. If Jesus is Lord, it means that he's actually Lord of everything in our lives. But that means that if Jesus is Lord of all, He's concerned about every single aspect of your life. And he wants the best outcome for every aspect of your life. He is, in fact, more attuned to your life than you could ever imagine. And he is constantly aware of every aspect of your life where you're actually only able to focus on one or two at a time. He is working on things that you have currently forgotten, either by way of pressure or because you just don't, you know, don't think about it at the, at, at, at the time. You maybe, maybe can't think about it. Guess what? Jesus is still working on that part of your life without you even praying or asking. Why? Because you've surrendered in the kingdom and now he's responsible for you. He's responsible for you and he takes his responsibility serious. But this leads to the point that surrender is not a one-time event. It's a daily choice. See, the minute you try and put your hands into the, into the process, often we mess things up. We think that we can do better, but we end up doing worse. And then it adds another thing that he has to take care of because we decided to go our own way, our own wisdom. Now he wants us to make that choice daily. So my question for us today is simply, 
What areas of your life are you trying to control that God wants you to surrender to Him? Is it a relationship? Maybe it's your health or the health of someone you love. I guess right now, with current situation, many of us are wondering about our finances. And we're asking the question, do I need to start? (laughs) Or is now the time to trust God and actually release seed into His kingdom? So that if this remains for a while, I'm guaranteed a harvest along the way that will keep coming in to keep providing for me. It's a different way of thinking in the kingdom. What about your future? What do I need to study? What do I need to become? Am I going to be successful? See, if you don't surrender it to God, then you're going to make decisions that are contrary to the kingdom of God. Lord, I don't have time for you now. I need to go to that practice. Lord, I don't have time for you now. That's you taking control and thinking that your success is based on your disobeying God's way. So what if our way was distinguishable? Here's what would happen. Because God takes care of His own. Our lives would be the most hopeful, most joyful, most successful, most significant, and people will take notice. Then we wouldn't have to do a lot to convince people that God is real and He's good. We would simply refer to our testimony. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. Despite the fact that I had to say no to the world in this sense, despite the fact that that may have caused me to suffer a consequence dealt from the world, maybe persecution, despite all that, look what the Lord has done. He has prospered me because I've been in allegiance with Him. I am His. It's God calling you to surrender to Him so that you can start following the way, so that you can start stepping into His way of doing life, His way of doing things. Let's take a minute now. Let's close our eyes. I want you to to ask that question to the Holy Spirit right there where you are. Holy Spirit, What do you need me to surrender? And remember, it's not you stepping into trying to change and be better or do better. It's actually giving up and surrendering and saying, Lord, I'm not going to fight for this thing in this way anymore. I'm going to trust you, this into your hands and start being obedient to your way. What is it that he's calling you to surrender to? In fact, if you can write it down right now, that will be something that stays with you. But I want to pray over that for us today. And just ask God to, to quicken this into our lives, to, to, to bring this to life. That we would, when we're put in front of the situation next, that our decision would be to honor you. Father, That's our heart's desire today. So that we'll choose to honor you 
and not follow the way of the world. We will leave outcomes to you and we will trust in you. In fact, if you're willing to raise your hands in a surrender, don't you want to join me? And just say, Lord, I surrender right there where you are. Lord, I surrender. God, I've been thinking that I needed to do this and this to obtain or achieve that and that. But God, I surrender. I surrender to you. Show me your way. Show me your way, Lord. Show me your way. Lord, I surrender to your way. Say that under your breath. I surrender, Lord. I surrender, Lord. I make a choice today to trust in you rather than in my own logic, rather than in my own uh, system, in my own structures, rather than in the structures that I'm a part of, the system that I'm a part of. I choose to trust you, Lord God. I choose to trust you. feel like God's saying for some of us here it's 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 a it's a surrender of our identity it's like you feel that you have to prop up your identity you have to maintain your name your um your image God's saying you don't have to maintain anything you are a son of the most high God you will never attain anything more significant than that. You will never achieve anything more valuable than that. So you can settle in that acceptance and that identity and go out and enjoy in my way whatever you have put your hand toward. Unashamedly living out your identity as a son of God in the thing that you have chosen to participate in. Because you're not dependent on anything that that structure or that can give you or that place can give you for significance, for acceptance, for value. You've got all the significance, all the acceptance, all the value you need in this one thing. You're my child. So let it go. Stop trying to maintain your image. Surrender it to God. You know what that makes you? It makes you more powerful than the system around you. It can't affect you. It can't influence you. In fact, you become an influencing force on it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Help us process this, God. Show us the areas that we're holding back, afraid to surrender to you, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, you will affirm for our people, for all of us, that we can, we can entrust that to you. Lord, I surrender. I surrender to you.